0: Last week, we started our Christmas series, Searching for God in Christmas. And today, we are going to continue that journey and dive into the topic of control. Yeah, everyone's excited now, aren't you? You're glad you got out on this cold Sunday morning. I don't like to give up control myself. I know you wouldn't expect that of me. Um, I've actually been known um, to take the TV remote. Um, and hide it between my leg and the cushion of the chair and the armrest and pretend that I don't know where it is when my wife asks um, when she wants to change the channel. I don't know where it is, honey, Um, just so that the channel doesn't get changed because I want to be in control. Um, I I don't admit that, you know, I admit that with some shame and, and a little bit of shame, but... You know, giving up control is a hard thing for us to do. And it actually traces back, way back, all the way back, actually, to the beginning of humankind, um, all the way back to the garden, actually. Our desire to be in control. And today we're going to explore how being in control and letting God be in control relates to our search for God at Christmas time. And we're again going to look at a Charlie Brown Christmas. And we're going to look at one specific character who has some control issues. Who would you think? Lucy? Yeah. Lucy has some control issues. And we're we're gonna explore why being able to give up control in our search for God at Christmas is important. At 7:30 p.m. on December 9th, 1965, a Charlie Brown Christmas aired on the CBS network and was viewed by an estimated 36 million people, becoming an instant holiday classic. And today we begin our second week's journey into searching for God at Christmas, following the antics of Charles Schultz's motley crew of characters, with a specific focus today on Lucy. And for those who may have forgotten the storyline of this tale, Charlie Brown, discontent with his feelings uh, surrounding Christmas, is sent on a quest for the meaning of Christmas by his friends. And his first stop on his journey is with his frenemy, Lucy. And I see Lucy as a frenemy of Charlie Brown, half friend, half enemy. Anyone who would repeatedly pull a football out from underneath me after promising to keep it there and giving me a contract assigned contract, mind you, um, would be a frenemy of mine. Uh, relationships are never easy. Lucy, although, seems to always have an answer for everything. We, I think we all have a Lucy in our life, and if we don't, maybe we're Lucy. Um, but So Charlie Brown starts with Lucy in the story. Charlie Brown goes to Lucy, Actually, Lucy, my trouble is Christmas. I don't understand it. Instead of feeling happy, I feel sort of let down, Charlie Brown explains. And Lucy responds, You need involvement. You need to get involved in some real Christmas project. How would you like to direct our Christmas play? Me? Charlie Brown asks. You want me to direct the Christmas play? But does he really get to direct the play? No. Course not Lucy's going to help, right? We, we all know how Lucy likes to help in situations. Um, she actually already has the cast picked out for the play because Lucy has to be in control, right? Lucy always has to be in control. Control is key for Lucy. If Charlie Brown is going to grow, if he is going to learn the meaning of Christmas and what, what his purpose is in life, he is going to have to take control of things from Lucy's perspective. What better way to do that than to direct the play? Than to direct the play. This way, he'll be able to tell people what to do. Because for Lucy, being in control is to have everything happen in the way she wants it to. That's the way that she wants it to be because that's what's important for her because control is what's important for Lucy. And if we're honest, for a lot of us, that's kind of the same thing for us. Being in control is, is actually kind of important for us, too. We, we deal with the same issues of control in our lives, and sometimes it surfaces in different ways, and, and in little ways. I have a, a very close friend of mine who was recently telling me a story. He was watching a football game um, on Sunday morning, or, or a Sunday afternoon, because he was in church, of course, on Sunday morning. Um, Sunday afternoon, he was watching a football game, and he was uh, sitting on his chair, his chair, um, with the remote control, because he wouldn't let anyone have the remote control because he didn't want to miss the game. So he's got his remote control. He's sitting in his chair and he's watching the game, and all of a sudden the, the TV changed to Daniel Tiger. And he was confused. He's got the remote and he goes, Oh, well, some weird thing happened. Oh, must have been a fluke. Changed it back to the football game. A minute later or so, all of a sudden it changed to shimmer and shine. And now he's concerned that something is wrong until he heard his daughters giggling in the kitchen, to which then he realized that he may have been mistaking teaching his daughters how to use his wife's cell phone um, Comcast cable app to change the TV channels. What about our need to be in control of the driver's seat? Yeah, I'll go with you, but I'm going to drive. Or what about picking your seat? Some of us are more like uh, Shelton from the uh, Big Bang Theory. That's my seat. That's my seat. Mm -hmm. Um, Or maybe I'm going to meddle just a little bit here. Um, What about the thermostat in your house? Anybody have to control the thermostat at the right temperature? Mm, Maybe. The fact is, is we like to be in control. Our desire to be in control in our lives can be traced all the way back to creation. Um, reflect with me for a moment um, back on the Genesis account of creation, where God created the world and Adam and Eve are put in the garden. And in Genesis two sixteen and seventeen, God uh, commands the uh, the man, "You you're free to eat anything from anything you want. Any tree in the garden, you can eat anything you want. Um, just not from this one tree. Knowledge of good and evil. Don't don't eat that that, that one tree. No, off limits. Because when you do you will certainly die. And so what is the one thing that they want to do? Eat from the tree they can't eat from. It's like having teenagers in the house. They want to do what they're told they can't do. Control. What they they want is control. They want to be able to control their own decisions. And they did. And, And so by doing that, by controlling, they broke their relationship with God. And ultimately with each other. Because once their relationship with God was broken, their relationship with each other broke down because they started blaming each other. See, this is what happens. And then, and then God said, Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here me with, she gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, What, what have you done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it blame game. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Adam and Eve's relationship is broken. The human divine relationship is broken, all because of this internal desire to be in control of our lives. And it it led Adam and Eve to sin. And here's here's that pattern. Sin then paves the way to the destroyed relationship with each other and their relationship with God, not to mention opening the door to all kinds of evil that then enters the world and compounds over time to create the world in which we have now. But we are truly blessed because our God loves us enough to not leave us where we are, to meet us where we are but not leave us the way he found us. And God does not leave us in that state of brokenness, instead, he offers us forgiveness and restoration through Christ, and and we're going to begin this morning by exploring John the Baptist's story a little bit, and who sets the stage for Jesus and Jesus' entry into the world, <clears throat> and how and and kind of paves how Jesus um, restores our lives to God, and so we're going to look in the Gospel of Mark. And if you want to follow along in your pew Bibles, um, you'll find it on page um, 1551, 1,551. Mark chapter 1, just the first five verses. And it'll also be on the screen. But it says this, starting in verse 1 of chapter 1, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness: "Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him." And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching and baptizing, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John invited people who were listening to him to give up control of their lives and to turn back to God through this act of repentance. And repentance for John was, was a twofold process. And, and the first step of repentance was, or is, confession. Now, we hear the word confession and, and we feel like we should be in the church over there. Wait, or I don't know which direction we are right now. Over there, that way. We feel like we're in the wrong building. Because that's the image that comes to mind. You know, confession with a priest. And that's, that's somewhat what John is talking about, but not altogether what John is talking about. Because confession is simply admitting your your sin. Saying, I am a sinner, and how you have sinned. That's, that's confession. We confess that we're sinners, and that... We have sinned in specific ways. And so we need to confess that we are sinners. Paul says, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to confess, like Adam and Eve, and even like Lucy, that we too prefer to be in control. We do. We like to hold the TV remote. Given Given the option, we would rather be in control than to let God be in control. Given our druthers, we would rather hold the reins. But we have to learn how to admit that we do have control issues. If we are going to sincerely repent and turn away from those sins and redirect our lives. You see, we quickly see, we can easily see and quickly see controlling issues in other people's lives. Right? We all have that person in our lives who are like, wow, they are a controlling person. Some of you are nodding. Those of you who are not, maybe you need to internalize this a little bit more today. I invite you to pray a little bit, maybe, um, maybe a little bit of self-reflection. But we all know we can identify controlling people in our lives, and we see it in other people, but when we turn the lens on ourselves or it's identified in ourselves, we get very defensive. We even get angry when people call us controlling. And we, we rationalize it. No, I'm passionate. I'm driven. I'm motivated. I'm a visionary. I'm a millennial. I'm not a millennial. I'm sorry. If you're a millennial, I am not a millennial sorry if you are a millennial i do not mean to offend you. If we desire to experience the fullness of God and the fullness of what God wants for us in life, if that is truly our desire, if we want to live into what God has for us in this life, then we must follow John's instructions to repent and admit our control issues. Because confession is our first step, but it's not the final step. Because John talked of, repentance, and baptism. Confession came first. The second step for John was baptism. Now, John took people down to the Jordan River. We're not going down to the Jordan River this morning. It's, it's a little bit of a walk. And if you're interested, you need to talk to Fran, who's upstairs with the kids this morning, because she just got back from the Holy, Holy Land from a trip, and she has an interesting story about our bishop, having a little fall into the Jordan River on that trip. And so if you'd like to hear about how Bishop Bard, the Bishop of the Michigan Area Conference, uh, might have had a little bit of an extraordinary experience in in the Jordan, talk to her. She's got quite a story to tell, but I'll let her tell the tale. John baptized people in the Jordan after they confessed as a symbol of a new life that a person was starting. And their baptism represented a dying to that person's sin and the raising into a new life. However, after the death of Jesus on the cross, and Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb at Easter, baptism took on a new meaning in the church and and for us as people of faith. And it was no longer a symbol anymore. So for John the Baptist, being baptizing people was a symbol. For us today, it has a new meaning. It, it's not simply a symbol. It now is a tangible, physical, real connection to the death and resurrection of Christ, which is why it's a sacrament in our practice of faith. And Paul explains this in Romans chapter 6, which you can follow along on 1754 in your pew Bibles if you'd like to. Um, It'll be on the screens. Uh, Romans 6 verses 1 through 11, which says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus we baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a, re- in, in a resurrection like his." The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. According to Paul, when we are baptized, when we're baptized, we are baptized into Jesus' death on the cross. And as such, our sins are buried with Christ and are left in the grave. That's part of our baptism vows. That's part of what it means to be a baptized Christian, is that part of what our connection with Christ is, is that part of what the cross means at Easter, and part of what Christ's love represents that we symbolize in this Advent wreath, that love demonstrated is that when Christ dies for us, is that our sins hung on the cross and went to the grave and stayed there when we professed Jesus as our Lord and Savior, which is a completely different thing than a symbol that John the Baptist did in the Jordan River. Tangible, real experience of grace, all completed through the power of God the Father, that is shared with us, that takes us into new life. That's that's where this rebirth comes from, this new life of Jesus Christ. That language comes from this baptism language. But unlike John's baptism, our baptism is more than a symbol of hope, of things to come. Our baptism then is a present reality of Christ in our lives. And it reminds us that the and it, it reminds us that, that our sins are buried in the tomb. And we have new life in Christ. Part of our new life stems from repentance, confession, and baptism. But it's, it's our connection with Christ that really matters. Being raised with Christ. And our sins no longer hold us in bondage. And I love that in Romans 6.6, 6, that phrase... For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, our sins have been destroyed, and we are, we are raised like Jesus to new life, freed, no longer slaves to sin. And the thing for me is that that shackles, that bondage, the chains being released... There's a song, um, a contemporary Christian song, that, that that when I read this passage of Paul's in Romans, that, that always goes through my head that says, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. That song just echoes in my mind when I read Paul's words in, in Romans. And how important it is to, to realize that because of this, we are freed in Christ. And it comes from this act of repentance, this confession and repentance, though, that John started. Because simply put, repentance just means to turn around, to turn away, to do a 180. Repent doesn't mean lying on the floor. It means to turn around. To repent means to turn away and to go in a new direction. In our context today, we confess that we... That we, that we don't like to give up control. We don't want to let God be in control. We would rather call the shots ourselves. But we all know that the more we try to be in control of everything in our lives, we know what happens. The more things seem to just get out of control, Because the fact remains that even though we may not want to admit it, we are not God. I'll tell you, here's a confession I am not God. I don't know if you can say the same thing. I can confidently and boldly say that. Giving up control is hard, and it is a struggle for me too. I don't like to ride in the passenger seat, I don't like to give up the TV remote. And what I have found and what I, what I was taught when I was in the military is what's true for the small things is often true for the big things, though. And while arguing and, uh, about TV remote, remotes and temperature controls on the thermostat may be somewhat comical, it often is a warning sign or an indicator of the bigger stuff that may come in life. And if you can't relinquish control of the little things, it often comes up in bigger ways as well. When I'm talking about, to my kids about why little white lies matter, it's the same idea. If you're going to lie about the little things, what about the big things? If you can't give up control of the little things, how are you ever going to give up control of the big things? It's easy to say that we're going to trust God to provide in our lives and to lead in our lives, but it's a big difference if we're going to actually let God control our lives, let God lead in our lives. Because we can say, God, I give you control of my heart. God, I give you control of my heart today, but when our spouse abandons us, do we actually leave God in control? Do we leave it in God's hands, or do we reclaim our control? You see, we can say and pray, God, I give you control of my work But when we lose our job or or we get demoted or we get forced to move out of state, do we leave it in God's hands or or do we reclaim control? You see, we can say and pray, um, God, I I give you control of your church. But when a new ministry starts that feels different or things start to happen that we don't understand, do do we leave it in God's hands or do we reclaim control? We can say and pray, God, I give you control of my life. But when things start to get scary, do we leave it in God's hands, or do we reclaim control? See, when faced with this line of thought, I'm often drawn to the Christmas story and and to the, the, the nativity story of Joseph. Because everything was going as planned. I'm a planner. I have checklists. I have schedules. I like to plan out One month plan, three month plan, six month plan, one year plan, three year plan, five year plan. Once the one week plan goes awry, all of it's thrown away, and I'd start all over again. But I like to have the plan. And Joseph had a plan, and he worked his plan, and it all looked like it was working well. He was going to get married. He was going to marry Mary. I thought that was creative. I'm sure no preacher's ever said that before. And even though he loved her, and he knew her, he knew her family, and he trusted her, when she came to him and said she was pregnant, he still did not, could not bring himself to believe her. Now that is something that I believe exists in our culture today to love someone deeply enough, to know them well enough, to, but still to not be able to believe them when they tell you a story like that. I'm pregnant. He knows he's not the father. So he took control of the situation. He would divorce her, but not publicly because that would disgrace her. He was a better man than that. He would control the fallout of the situation too because he could control the fallout. He could dis- he could divorce her publicly and just completely destroy her family, but he said he was going to control the fallout. He would control the whole situation. He would control his family. He would control her family. He would do it quietly. That was his plan to take control of the situation to get it done, to get it done correctly. And so we pick up the story in Matthew 1.20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You see, Joseph had a choice to make, just like we each have a decision to make when it comes to deciding who will be in control of our lives. Joseph could have chosen to remain in control, to do what he planned to do. Joseph could have ignored the dream altogether. He could have done that. He has free will, just like we do. He could have said, no, thank you, God. If it's not my biological son, it's not my son. He could have been that guy. But that's not who he was. He could have not wanted to play stepdad. There are plenty of guys out there that don't want to play stepdad. He could have said no. He had free will, just like we do. He could have chosen to not step into God's plan and not be a part of God's story. And if he would have, God's story may not have turned out the way that it did. He could have not let God be in control. But he let God be in control. He chose to let God be in control. And there was nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing easy about God's plan when Joseph accepted God's control in the situation. Nothing easy. Countless hardships followed Joseph, choosing to let God be in control. But by doing so, he was able to experience the blessing of God in a way that he would never have been able to. By giving up control and letting God be in control, Joseph was able to help Mary bring the Savior of the world into existence. He was able to protect them and guide them to Egypt when they fled from Herod's wrath because Joseph chose to give up control and to let God hold the reins. Our world was forever changed and we were able to meet in this place today even and worship and light a cam- candle to recognize the love that which We celebrate. How would your life change if you let God be in control of your life? If you would give up a little bit of control? Do you do you believe that God could work a miracle this Christmas season? Or in two thousand nineteen or even over the next decade or over the next generation of your family? Would your family change if God were in control of your future? If God were in control of your life, what do you think God could do? If we were all, all of us in this room, were to hand over the reins of our lives to God, do you think that this church, this physical church location, and the people in this community would change? Would this community change if God had full control over us in our lives. I believe that it would. And I believe that it would begin to look a little bit more as God intended it to look each and every day. As we strive each day to give control to God, because I think it's a daily process. I don't think it's a turnkey thing. Nothing in life is turnkey. But as we strive to give control back to God, we find new meaning and purpose and fulfillment in our lives, which are only found in God, when God is in control. And it all begins with admitting that we struggle to give up control in the first place. And then we let that control rest in the grave with Christ and accept the new life that Jesus offers us. So let's give God back the control because I believe that that's the greatest gift that we could give ourselves this Christmas is relinquishing that control. Not only for ourselves though, but for the people around us, for our friends, for our families. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for the new life that you offer us through Christ. In every way that we can, Lord, we we offer you control of our lives. In all of the ways that we struggle to let go of control, give us the strength to trust you. Assure our hearts, Lord, that our past is buried with your Son, our Savior. Jesus the Christ, and it's in his name that we pray, amen.